Good afternoon, everybody. If I could ask you to please take your seats and we'll get back underway. I hope everybody had time to have a spot of lunch. I know it's a really active room, a really full, fuzzy crowd, so it's really nice to see us packed to the rafters here. Hopefully everybody's getting caught up and having a good time. My name is Glenn Parkinson again. I'm your Canadian Club President and your host for this afternoon. A warm welcome to the many of you who are joining us online at CanadianClub.org. Thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us. Now, before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge the support of our sponsors who make our events possible. Today's event is sponsored by Agnico Eagle and CPA Ontario. Thank you for your generosity. Intact is our streaming partner today, providing free live access to this event online, while Canadian Bankers Association is our season sponsor, and Air Canada is our official airline partner again this year, so thank you all for your support as well. <laughs> Lastly, our entire season is carbon neutral, thanks to our partnership with Canada's Forest Trust. And If you're not familiar with CFT, I encourage you to look them up, they're a terrific organization. And together with, with CFT, we're creating, not only are we compensating for the carbon footprint of our season's events, but we're also creating a legacy, a green legacy for the future. So thank you, CFT, for planting a forest in our honor and nurturing it for future generations. After the minister gives his address, he'll be joined by Adrian Batra, editor-in-chief of the Toronto Sun and a former director of Canadian Club Toronto, for discussion and questions. And we really do encourage you to ask your questions during our events. So please, if the spirit moves you to ask the minister a question, um, there are cards in the center of your table. So fill out a question card and raise your hand, and we'll run the questions up to the front. Similarly, if you're joining us on CanadianClub.org, you can see a button on the right-hand side of your screen called Submit a Question. So if you use that, that'll come to our team here, and similarly, we'll bring it up to the front. And now, I'm pleased to ask Andre Leitchi to join us up front and introduce our guest of honor. Andre from Agnico Eagle, welcome. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you to the Canadian Club for this opportunity. Um, I'm, I, I, it's my pleasure today to introduce uh, today's speakers. No stranger to the mining industry. His government is putting in place policies that will unlock Ontario's vast mineral resources, for which we are thankful. Thank you, Minister. Ontario's mining sector is world class. It's creating tens of thousands of high-paying jobs and contributing to our long-term prosperity. It is also me making major contribution to economic reconciliation with indigenous peoples and the production of critical minerals essential to the energy transition. A true Ontario success story, Agnico Eagle Mines started in cobalt almost 70 years ago and has grown to become the third largest gold producer in the world. We are employing 16,000 people globally, 4,000 people in Ontario, 
And I'm happy here to say that we have plans to aggressively grow our business in the province. As Canada's leading mining company, we are committed to operate sustainably. In 2022 alone, we spent $1.1 billion in goods and service with indigenous-owned business. We are pursuing, as well, ambitious emission reduction initiatives. Now, our speaker here today is someone that who, who understands well the need for companies to balance growth and sustainability. While he needs to intro, intro, no introduction to this audience, it's my pleasure to welcome him to the Canadian Club today. Born in Montreal to Hungarian immigrants, he earned both a Master's of Business Administration and a Master's in Political Science from McGill University, a good combination for a future Minister of Finance. Prior to entering politics, he had a long and successful career in business and financing, including leadership roles in, as Senior Vice President of Manulife Financial, Co-President of DBRS Limited, and President and Chief Operating Officer of TD Securities in New York. Following his career in business, he turned his attention to the public service, driven by a passion for getting Ontario's public finances back on track, and a belief that economic growth was and is the key to prosperity. After winning the confidence of voters of Pickering Oxbridge, he was named to the cabinet to serve as president of the Treasury Board and then as Ontario's Minister of Finance. During his time in the Treasury Board, he spearheaded efforts to control spending, including the creation of a Controller General, the first province in Canada to do so. As Minister of Finance, he presides over an annual budget of over $200 billion and carefully balances the need to provide critical social service to families and communities with the need for policies and investments to secure our growth and long-term prosperity. Please join me in welcoming to the podium of the Canadian Club, the Honorable Peter Baffin Fively, MPP Pickering Oxbridge and Ontario Ministry of Finance. Uh, well, thank you so much, Andre, for that uh, kind introduction. Um, you know, before uh, it's great to be here again, um, my seventh time. That's uh, it, hopefully there's some frequent flyer Canadian club points that I can. I don't know how I'd cash them in, and I'm looking forward to the questions. Uh, you know, I, I sit there in the house every day, and uh, sadly, the opposition never asks the minister of finance any questions. So I'm like the. Maytag repair, no, I make the Maytag repair man look busy uh, in those, so I'm sure I'll get some good, uh, good Q&A here. Um, I, I do want to give a shout out, uh, obviously, to the Canadian Club, and to, uh, to you, you always run such a great event, so thank you, Glenn, and the whole team, uh, really appreciate that. I want to acknowledge my colleagues, too. I, you know, I, uh, I started off, as Andre mentioned, in the uh, in Treasury Board, and I love Treasury Board, and we now have a very activist Treasury Board president, um, Caroline Mulroney, so thank you for being here. (laughs) 
does an incredible, incredible job, hitting the road running, and, and was a great uh, minister, uh, not only attorney general, but minister of transportation. And she's ably assisted by her parliamentary uh, assistant who is here today, was my parliamentary assistant for a period of time, Rudy Cazzetto. So thank you for being here, MPP Rudy Cazzetto. For, Toba, uh, for uh, Mississauga Lakeshore, yes, uh, great, uh, great riding in Mississauga Lakeshore. Um, you know, folks, when I look uh, around this room, and, and uh, great to see so many people here, I see a group of people who understand what our government means when we talk about building Ontario. You know, last Thursday, I stood before the people of Ontario to provide an update on how our government is doing just that. And we're building a strong Ontario together. Nous bâtissons un Ontario fort ensemble. You know, Ontario is growing. We're seeing a record number of newcomers call Ontario home. And, you know, we mentioned, Andre, that my parents, they're Hungarian refugees, you know, came because of World War II. And they were able to raise a family, to find jobs, to have a great career in, in Ontario and in Canada. And I want the same thing for anybody who who lives here or is coming here. Uh, businesses as well need to be supported and they're opening right across the province. And jobs, good jobs, not just jobs, but good jobs with bigger paychecks are being created. And while all of this is good news, it can't be taken for granted, especially amid heightened economic and geopolitical uncertainties. Now more than ever, it's important to remain fiscally disciplined, responsible, and flexible so that we can emerge from these uncertainties stronger than before. And folks, maintaining a path to balance is a key part of that. And we're projecting to balance the budget by 25-26. However, due to a slowing economy impacting revenue and increasing our flexibility, we've had to respond to these risks. Our government is now projecting a $5.6 billion deficit this fiscal year, and in 24-25, a $5.3 billion, followed by that balanced budget. You know, as we deal with this uncertainty, our government will never hesitate to do what is necessary to support the people and businesses of Ontario, and you saw that through COVID, and I, you know, maybe I should address the elephant in the room, and uh, you probably are wondering, how am I sleeping given all this uncertainty? And, Maybe some of you have heard this before, because I said this uh, on CP24 last week, but uh, you can rest easy. I'm sleeping like a baby now. I wake up every two hours and I cry. <laughs> My staff says, you can't use that anymore. You did it live on CP24 last week, so you got to stop. Um, but I can't help myself. Um, look, 500,000, almost 500,000 people came to Ontario last year. Almost 500,000 are on track to come again this year, 2023. Think about that for a second. That will mean that about a million net people will grow this population. We'll get over 16 million people. That's just in two years. And five million more in the next 10 years. You know, I was thinking, I looked up uh, Florida and, and uh, Texas. The Premier always mentions Florida and Texas. Two of the fastest comparable sized, the two as fastest comparable sized states that are growing in the US. You know, Texas is growing by about one and a half percent. They're just over 32 million, about 400,000 people. Florida is growing by 1.9 percent, 
That's also around 400,000 people. You know, think of, we're going at 500,000. We've got a smaller population base. 3% is our growth rate. There's no other jurisdiction consistently growing that fast. People want to come to Ontario, and we have an obligation as our populations grow and our communities grow, that we make sure that we have the infrastructure in place. Because our existing infrastructure is becoming strained, and growing communities need more critical infrastructure. We inherited an infrastructure deficit in this province. It's one of the reasons that I ran for political office. One was fiscally, second was economically. And you can't have economic prosperity, folks, productivity, without proper infrastructure. And we need to build even more. That's why we are continuing to deliver on an unprecedented $185 billion 10-year capital plan to build the most ambitious capital plan in Ontario's history. I think probably one of the most ambitious capital plans in the history of North America. But even with this historic investment, folks, we need to build more. Ontario taxpayers alone cannot shoulder this cost. Les contribuables ontariens ne peuvent pas eux seulement assumer ce coût. Which is why we announced the new Ontario Infrastructure Ban, modeled on similar institutions and jurisdictions around the world. The Ontario Infrastructure Bank will trans transfer, uh, sorry, attract pension plans and municipalities and other trusted institutional investors to help finance essential infrastructure that would otherwise not get built. This will be arm's length to the government. The bank will leverage those investments by public sector pension plans and other trusted institutional investors to help fund large-scale infrastructure projects that are so critically needed right across the province. With a, the bank will have a focus on building long-term care homes affordable housing, and major infrastructure in the municipal, community, energy, and transportation sectors. You know, Canada is renowned for one of the strongest pension systems in the world, including the Maple 8. And if anyone from, is here from INCO, in fact, I think one of the board members, Jeff Belcher, is here from IMCO, which is the Investment Management Corporation of Ontario. I think that's what IMCO stands for. Don't like acronyms. Well, we have something called the Maple 8, which is the largest eight pension funds in Canada. I'd like IMCO to be the Maple 9. And participate. Yeah, let's give, let's give uh, Jeff, I'm giving you the heavy lifting. We've heard from these funds, like IMCO and Ontario Teachers and many others across the country, that they are looking for more opportunities to invest worker savings in Ontario. And through the Ontario Infrastructure Bank, they will be able to do so right here at home. Our government is also empowering municipalities to unlock more housing opportunities. The new $200 million Housing Enabling Water Systems Fund, I know that's a mouthful, but just think of water systems, will help ensure the water infrastructure necessary for new housing developments to get built. And speaking of housing, our government has long called on the federal government to provide HST relief on new purpose-built rental housing projects. And in September, we welcome their decision to answer our call. And last week, our government confirmed that Ontario will do its part and remove the provincial portion of the HST on qualifying purpose-built rental housing. So together with federal enhancements, 
This will remove a full 13% on qualifying projects. And taken together, this will get more rental housing built faster, and it'll help more people in Ontario find an affordable place to live. Because we need to get things built. And businesses, they're, bu they're opening every day. And new jobs are being created. So far this year, in 2023, 170,000 net new jobs have been created in the first eight months of this year. Our government is continuing to build Ontario's economy so that we are more prosperous than ever. And one of the ways we're encouraging this growth who's, is through Ontario's investment attraction agency, Invest Ontario. Now, Invest Ontario is promoting Ontario as the best place in the world to do business and to help attract more leading companies to our province and support those who are already here. And so we're providing an additional $100 million to the Invest Ontario Fund. It's a move that will create more good-paying jobs in communities right across the province for Ontario's talented workforce. Il s'agit d'une mesure qui créera plus d'emplois bien rémunérés pour notre main-d'oeuvre talenteuse un peu partout dans la province. Now, building is about setting up for success for tomorrow. It's about creating the environment for a more productive Ontario. We're standing at the cusp of a major transformation with the global shift to electric vehicles. And Ontario is perfectly positioned to be a world leader in this green economy. That's part of the reason in our 2023 budget, we introduced the game-changing Ontario-made manufacturing investment tax credit, which is helping manufacturers lower costs, innovate, and maintain a comp competitive edge. We're unlocking the economic potential of Ontario's critical minerals in the north, and I'm, I'm very encouraged by Agnico looking at critical minerals. They're right here in Ontario, in Canada. We don't have to go to China. You mentioned cobalt. I've heard cobalt a few times. 75% of the world's cobalt comes from the Congo. There's a town in Ontario called Cobalt. We've got it right here. And when Joe Biden comes up, President Joe Biden comes up and says, we want your critical minerals. You know, folks, let's make sure we process them here in Ontario, the value-added part of the uh, supply chain. You know, Ontario is punching above its weight. Let's continue to do that. And while I'm on critical minerals, I can't help myself. I'm a little off script. You know, what we have to do, and through the leadership of George Perry, our Ministry of Mines, who put through legislation last year, we can't wait 15 years for permits to be issued or a time frame to get to a maybe. We need to get shovels in the ground faster in our minds. We, the process is so critical, as well as the infrastructure. The infrastructure has to be there. You can't just helicopter into a mine. We've got them here more than ever in the world, critical minerals that go and should be processed here in Ontario. They'll go into the battery manufacturing plants right across this province uh, in southwestern Ontario and to the assembly lines. We'll have the most robust electric vehicle production capability next to China, and let's go after China. Let's make it even bigger than China. We can do it right here in Ontario. So in the, and that's why in the fall economic statement that I'm sure you all just watched and were riveted to last week, <laughs> but just in case you missed it, our government was pleased to announce a proposed enhancement to the Ontario-focused flow-through share tax credit. And this enhancement will stimulate exploration and keep us on the path to attracting landmark investments in the auto sector and beyond. 
Now, none of this happens without supporting the people doing this work. Building Ontario means all hands on deck. Ontario is fortunate to have a world-class workforce, and our government is working for them. Our government has made major investments to grow the skilled trades, and now we're going to help those workers plan for retirement. Notre gouvernement a fait d'importants investissements pour développer les métiers spécialisés. Et maintenant, nous allons aider ces travailleurs à planifier leur retraite. Previous governments overlooked and undervalued target benefit pension plans by refusing to put a permanent regulatory framework in place for these plans. And our government is changing this. We're proposing a much needed new permanent framework for target pension benefit plans. This new framework would help to protect the retirement security of workers while making a career in the skilled trades even more attractive. Now, folks, while the, head of row, uh, while the road ahead will not be easy, we should all feel confident about Ontario's economy, its workers, and its people. Bien que le chemin parcouru ne sera pas sans embûche, nous devrions tous, tous avoir confiance dans l'économie de l'Ontario, dans ses travailleurs, ses dents, Population. As I said last Thursday, we have seen what the people of Ontario can accomplish when we come together. Together, we can overcome any obstacle. Together, we can face this uncertainty and ensure long-term economic prosperity for this province. And to, together, we can build the critical infrastructure we need to support our growing communities. So folks, we can build a strong Ontario together. Thank you very much. Now the fun part. <laughs> I promise to make up for the lack of opposition questions today. <laughs> it's nice to see you, Mr. Minister. I feel like this is our annual date. Yeah, so, we, we do this every year, Yes, don't we? We, we pretty much do. So again, thank you to the Canadian Club for hosting this. Um, at such a critical time, at such an important juncture in our country, our communities, the issue of affordability is everywhere. So I'm going to start with an easy one for you. Um, Around March, you had suggested that you had projected that the Ontario's deficit was going to be 1.3 billion. It's now 5.6 billion. So what happened? <laughs> what happened? What happened? Easy. What happened on the way from the budget to the fall economic <laughs> statement? You know, a couple things. First off, uh, we we uh, we obviously live in in the real world here, and uh, global economic growth has been slowing. Um, you know, there's a lot of economic uncertainty, and so private sector forecasts have been downgraded in their 2023 latter half projections for economic growth. You saw some of the, uh, the flatness in economic growth in the third, you know, in, in July, August, September. Uh, and so the, the forecast for economic growth in 2024 is, is quite subdued. Uh, they've downgraded their forecast. So we've had to update our revenues uh, as well to, to lower those revenues to acknowledge the environment that we're in. I would say this, though, that, look, Ontario is a trillion-plus economy. We, we passed over a trillion the other, uh, last year. It's a robust, diversified economy. We're not immune to these global economic forces. We're not immune to global economic uh, and geopolitical risk. Uh, but we, we are positioning ourselves to have the flexibility to be able to address any 
um, any risks that come around the corner. And uh, yeah, we pushed out our budget balance for one year, but it's, it's only 365 more sleeps before you get a budget uh, to balance. And why is that important? I think it's so important because number one, you know, our borrowing has come way down as we're on our path to, uh, and Gaddy Maiman, the CEO of OFA, Ontario Financing Authorities here, and his team has done a great job in tapping global markets and issuing long-term barns. Our interest expense actually is the lowest relative to revenue that it's been since the 1980s. Now think about that. We're, we're borrowing less, we're getting close to balance, we're borrowing less and so we're spending less giving money to bondholders. So I can either pay down debt with those savings or I can reinvest in critical infrastructure, but at least I have an option. Number two, I think it's so critically important that uh, you have the capacity, you don't know what's around the corner. When we did our budget a couple of years ago, you lock in the numbers, you present it to the printers, and then you hold your breath for about three or four weeks. And a couple of years ago, after we had locked it in, Russia invaded Ukraine. You know, just uh, we did the fall economic statement, and then Hamas, uh, you know, had a terrorist attack on Israel. You know, you have to, you have to build in a bit of you know, cushion for what's around the corner and have the fiscal firepower. Thirdly, you know, I don't think our legacy to the next generation should be a lower standard of living. You know, if you aren't fiscally responsible, what you're really saying is you're going to put on higher taxes and cutting spending to the next generation and a lower standard of living. Is that the legacy that we in this room want to give to the next generation who invested so much the last generation so we could live in freedom and democracy. So that's why I think it's so important to stay on track. So on that issue, um, everyone in this room either is dealing with or knows somebody dealing with in their company or, or in their personal life that simply just can't afford all of those things that you talked about in your speech about creating homes and creating opportunity, building in that infrastructure. Ontario has become the most expensive place in Canada to save, and by extension in North America, very expensive. You can't save for a home as interest rates continue to rise and inflation is hitting every single one of us. Not the least of which, and it's good to acknowledge of the, the 6% that the Ontario government is able to service the debt. The feds are at 10%, and then, you know, to part it to you in the prudent planning for that. But what is it that your government has done to acknowledge? and address this issue of affordability. A government that was elected in 2018 for the people to support the, the little guy, gal out there. What has tangible have you guys done to um, address that? How much time do we have? Well, not much, so you better uh, <laughs> give, me a, give me the Coles Notes version. We've done a lot. Because we, I do want to take some questions from the audience. Yeah. I have excellent questions. But, they, but we do want to give you an opportunity. I don't need to capitalize the entire time. Go ahead, Mr. Minister. Emily, from my, uh, uh, my um, press uh, secretary, always says, Minister, you've got to shorten them up. Okay, yeah. I'll try my best. Sounds so we've done, we've done a tremendous amount. Uh, there's always more to do on the affordability front. But I think about things like moving early on the gas tax. That's a year and a half ago that we lowered it by 5.7 cents. You know, combined with other things we've done, that's 10 cents a liter. You know, when you go to the pumps every time, you're paying 10 cents less than you would otherwise would. Now think about the farmers who are growing that food. They're using energy inputs, or, or the truckers and uh, you know, the people who are uh, shipping the food and the people who are distributing the food and ultimately to us buying the food. And that's why last Thursday and Friday, I did I think 25 TV and radio interviews. I then pivoted to the federal government 
you know, this carbon tax. Now, we all believe in cli climate change, we all have to do our part, but right now, you're picking a part of the country, Atlantic Canada, who's predominantly heating oil, and forgetting about Ontarians, where 97% are natural gas, they need a break. So uh, we're doing our part, they gotta do their part. Okay. I think we can all agree on that. It's unfortunate the vote in the House didn't go the way it should have yesterday, but nonetheless, I can, think- Can I just say something? How weird was that to have the NDP and the Conservatives supporting each other and hugging each other? And then the, and then the Liberals and the, and the Separatists <laughs> who are trying to break up this country hug each other and it's vote together. It's strange times we live in. There's no question about that. I want to um, pivot slightly to your fall economic statement, specifically on the Ontario Infrastructure Bank, which you just recently un announced. Um, you've earmarked $3 billion to get that off the ground. The challenge we have, in, not only in Ontario, but in this country, is actually getting things built. We have an infrastructure bank at the federal level, and at the risk of offending anybody in this room, as, as I know certain people are here from, that, uh, from the Canada Infrastructure Bank, the challenge has been there hasn't been much to show for it. Um, and they've had some challenges themselves, and we won't relitigate all of that. You can just read the Toronto Sun and see it in there. Um, why do something like this? Why at, at, at this time when there's you know, very negative connotations with banks and, and refinance and all of that, why do something like this create this new level of government, new layer of bureaucracy, when it could just be done through either your ministry or, or the private sector? Why? Yeah, the taxpayer, first off, the taxpayer is funding $185 billion of a 10-year capital plan the largest, as I mentioned in my remarks, I think that's the largest probably, one of the biggest since the, the World War II. So we're, with taxpayers funding it, but there's other ways to fund it. And let me tell you, I know this Canadian Infrastructure Bank got off to a slow start. We're gonna get off to a very fast start. We've learned from their uh, process what worked well and what things uh, they might have done differently. So we've, we've, uh, we've used that. Number two, in the last couple of years, Canadian Infrastructure Bank has done $28 billion of transactions that otherwise would not have, for deals and, and infrastructure, that would not have get, get, gotten built. And let me tell you a third thing. You know, it's not just $185 billion. We've got we to gotta build way more. When you grow your population by, that's just two years, a million people. Net growth, you know, we need a heck of a lot more. And I know the frustrations uh, people who are building it. And I talked, and by the way, pension funds think this is a great idea. Uh, municipalities came out and said this is a great idea. Labor unions, you know, here you go, those the conservatives and labor unions locking arms and, you know, they say it's a good idea. But I talked to a president of a university this morning, and he was saying they're doing stuff that they need to build faster. They have a student housing project that took 10 years to get a shovel in the ground to get going. Um, and they want to build more student housing. He said, would you be interested with your new bank doing student housing with us? So revenue stream, but we get to build student housing like double, triple, quadruple what we're getting, and we can't wait 10 years to do it. So it's going to get deals done that, that otherwise wouldn't get built, get them built faster, and get them, uh, we've got a lot of the best institutional investors on the planet right here in Ontario. You think of Omers, you think of teachers, you think of Hoop, you think of uh, the CPP, and guess where they're investing infrastructure? Every, you know, Australia, Germany, UK. They do stuff here in Ontario. I want them to do a heck of a lot more. 
right in Ontario, and I think, you know, we'll work really hard to get it done. Can we expand on that? Because honestly, Minister, I don't think the issue has been to raise the money. There's plenty of opportunity to raise the money. It's actually getting something built, and I'll give you an example. Recently, it has been um, discussed about the ministerial zoning orders that have been put out. There have been nearly 100 that your government has done in the last four, nearly four years. Part to build long-term uh, care facilities and part to build, build homes. And then this significant crawl back on the green, on the, the green belt. Um, not only how much has that delayed plans to build, but all of these issues aren't necessarily about raising the capital, it's about getting things done. Part of it is delayed by lawsuits, part of it is delayed by um, you know, political considerations, but how do you that turn around and say to the pension plan, give us money when we're actually gonna get something done? Yeah, it's not that, uh, I've been, my, spent my whole career in capital markets, you know, uh, I think, you know, I get, quest I get asked this question by the press quite a bit, you know, are you just announcing this thing or that thing that to change the channel? Folks, the only channel I know is the channel to move this province forward. I get up every morning thinking about how can we get this school built? Uh, how are we going to get this hospital built? How are we going to get that student housing built faster? How are we going to open up the ring of fire faster? You know, we've got, we put money aside for infrastructure. We've got to work, and First Nations are doing a fantastic job leading the process, but we, folks, we, there are so many, there's always people trying to slow you down in the system, and I'm not pointing fingers at any one particular group, but the power of not getting it done is, is quite great in this province, uh, and inertia. So my job, and I get up, and I know my colleagues, and I know the Premier gets up every single day, and we think, okay, how can we advance building Ontario? Because this is, this is a bit like uh, after World War II. We've got a, we got a a nation-building moment in front of us. And I don't think I'm being too dramatic in saying that. Like, people will rely, what are we gonna do if we don't have, don't hit our targets, you know, or get close to it? We gotta directionally go there, otherwise, where are people gonna sleep? They need a roof over their heads. Where are their kids gonna go to school? How are they gonna get to work? We've had gridlock. We haven't built subways to the extent that we've needed to in decades. We talked about the Scarborough subway. I remember when I moved here in the 80s, People were talking about a subway to Scarborough. Give me a break. 45 years later, we finally got drilling the subway. It's being, it's being drilled right as we speak, but there's another one on the Ontario line. There's another one west of the Eglinton Crowstown. There's the Egg, West uh, Eglinton that's gonna ultimately connect to the airport. And of course, there's the extension of the Young Line up into Markham and beyond. Adrian, you know, when I get up in the morning, I don't change the channel. I stay on the channel that we're on and we're gonna keep going. That's heartening to hear. It's good that somebody is focused like that. But I'm glad you brought up the issue of subways and infrastructure and, and the like. Um, I think everybody in this room probably is frustrated by the Crosstown LRT. And I know Minister Mulroney is probably very happy she's no longer the minister <laughs> responsible anymore. She's been smiling but ever <laughs> since she got in the yeah. trade board. Um, I want to ask you about the recent reports. We've all reported about the potential that the City of Toronto is not going to be able to afford to operate the Finch LRT and the Crosstown, and that the province of Ontario is going to have to take over um, operating those lines. So is there any validity to that? You know, I, I got to tell you, my deputy minister is co-chairing the working group with Toronto. Uh, there's, we're rolling up our sleeves. We're, we're working hard to find uh, solutions. We got to 
start with acknowledging what are the challenges, and infrastructure is one challenge in Toronto. You know, one of the reasons that that building um, took 10 years to get a shovel into the ground for student housing was NIMBYism. Don't underestimate the power of NIMBYism. And so I know that if you work together, not just municipalities and provinces, but a federal government has to be a, a partner to get it done. You know, you look at uh, the immigration, that's a federal responsibility. And then a lot of them come here to the GTA. And it's not just Toronto and Pickering and, uh, and uh, Mississauga and, and now London and various parts of uh, Ottawa. You know, it, it, they're here because they want to live here. We have an obligation to take care of them. So I look at things like the Crosstown or others that you just mentioned, the LRT. You know, then you get in a room and you try to solve these things and you have a plan. Uh, I'm very confident that we'll get through all those. Uh, there's some hard work to do with the city of Toronto. There's going to be some very difficult and uncomfortable conversations, but I, I can tell you this, we are going to work through it and we're going to get it done. I think it's, it, a big part of it is about accountability, and I think that the public doesn't feel that there's been that level of accountability in it. Well, maybe, maybe the new minister will get some answers, but nonetheless, it's, it's such a critical part of getting people moving as we have more and more people moving to the city of Toronto, the province of Ontario. We have majority of the immigrants that are coming to this country are coming to Ontario. And so we need them to move around. We need them to live somewhere. We need the jobs for them. So in the last few minutes that we have left, you and I have talked about this before in terms of the province having more of a say in terms of the, um, um, in the immigration system and the, the type of immigrants that we need here, that, um, that we need in Ontario, for example. Where are those discussions at with the federal government is one question. But even more broadly, story after story, day after day in the, in the media, we are covering that this, you know, we have students that are um, homeless. We have a homeless issue. People living in their cars, they have a job, but they're living in their cars. Minister, it's, we're, are, we are at a critical time. It's weighty issues. How are we addressing this? Yeah, yeah. no, all fair questions. And, uh, you know, I will say, you touched on, upon a few things. Uh, you know, you go up and down in polls, but, uh, you know, when we, we, we're back up over 40%. So I think we're doing something right. Number two, I would say that uh, there, there, there is no always a single bullet a magic bullet that gets everything done. And I, you, you mentioned affordability. You know, we moved, we moved early. Uh, and we also focused very much on the most vulnerable. So we increased the ODSP, Ontario Disability Support Payments, by 5% uh, one-time uh, increase uh, last uh, November. And then this July, the first time a government had ever indexed ODSP payments to inflation. So they got indexed up 6.5%, 12% in the last year for people, the, some of our most vulnerable. We changed the earning exemption, so for those who can and want to work, that they're able to uh, uh, increase their earnings from $200 exemption a month to 1000 so they keep their benefits and have more money in their pocket. I think about minimum wage that went up to 1655 You know, folks, that was a 6.5% increase, which, which followed a, a, a substantive increase before that. And because of our low individual family tax rebate credits, Ontarians, low-income Ontarians, pay the lowest personal income tax in the land. Um, obviously, I mentioned the gas tax. It touches uh, so many different aspects of life. I could go on. 
about the types of things that we're doing. So we're very mindful of those uh, who need help. Uh, but at the same time, I can tell you this, I don't believe that we can afford the world-class ed education, healthcare, social services, unless we have a focus on economic prosperity. Economic prosperity drives uh, more wealth creation, innovation, that allows us to be able to afford these services and the healthcare. And I'm absolutely convinced we've got the best workers, we've got the best education system, we've got a great healthcare system, and that we can beat anyone on this planet, and uh, Ontario is gonna just move even more forward in the next years to come. Certainly something that a number of people in this room are thinking about, of course, is when you grab some headlines in the last couple of weeks saying that you need to meet with the finance minister federally to talk about Alberta's plan to leave the Canada pension plan. Can you walk us through why that is such a critical conversation right now? And conversely, why not allow Alberta to have that independence? Yeah, so if, if some of you may not know, I. I um uh, Alberta in September said they wanted to leave the Canada Pension Plan. And uh, we talked about it and, uh, you know, as a team we said, you know, uh, we didn't see anything coming out of Ottawa other than a few statements saying, you know, we want you to stay. So I said, uh, let's meet. Because I think something like the Canada Pension Plan, when I bring it back to, to my parents who came from worn torn Europe and Hungary, you know, one of the things about Canada is uh, stability. And that Canada Pension Plan is a symbol of stability. You don't have to worry about it. It's gonna be there. Actuarially, it's solvent for 75 years. Uh, to me, that's a hallmark of Canadian federalism. And I think that's something worth fighting for. So that's why I asked the minister for a meeting and she agreed within 24 hours. And it was a good opportunity to get, that we met last Friday and I could also talk about the carbon tax. <laughs> Sadly, that hasn't gone anywhere yet, <laughs> but not, maybe there's, time will tell. Um, last question to you. Give us a bit of crystal balling. I know no finance minister wants to do that. That's a tricky thing to do. Um, and we're going to keep the tape, especially. We're going to remember this, <laughs> whatever you say. Uh, but let's look down the road. Global instability, um, rising cost of building, rising interest rates, Unaffordability remains the number one issue for Canadians, for people, frankly, all around the world. Uh, cost of goods up, going up and up and up, and yes, the carbon tax is a contributor of that, for sure. How are you looking forward in terms of, you know, we, say, we hear from the economists, there's not going to be a recession, there might be a recession, we're already in one, but we're not quite, we're playing footsie with it. You, you, you wake up every two hours looking at these numbers. Give us something to be optimistic about. By the way, I cry so you don't have to cry. You we can keep sleeping. <laughs> uh, but that's my job. Look, I, I, um, I've been around for a while and I've seen some tough times. I was listening to John Kretschmer, Prime Minister Kretschmer, just uh, on one of the podcasts, and he was saying, you know, in 93, he had 11% inflation, 11% unemployment interest rates, very high. Uh, we just come out of the Q, Q8 war. Um, you know, and, and we're, we're in challenging times too. Uh, what I do know is we're gonna get through this economic time, and what you can't lose sight of is long-term prosperity. You can't build a road overnight. You can't build a subway overnight. You can't build a hospital overnight. 
You have, can't build a school overnight. You can't give people the tools to be able to do their jobs. Uh, so you have to have a vision of how you see the province and the country looking down the road. And you've got to wake up every day and focus on that and get things uh, organized so that when, you, when you're here five years from now or 10 years from now, uh, that you've got the productive measures to keep people moving, goods moving, give people the tools to make Ontario uh, a prosperous and productive province. And that's why I think Ontario, I wouldn't bet against Ontario uh, relative to anybody else. Mr. Minister, I want to thank you for your time thank answering you. the questions. Uh, I look forward to our, we do this again next year, I think. That's a hint to the Canadian Club, but thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you very you. much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. And we would certainly welcome you back again year after year. Thank you, Adrian and Minister. And I think you know, we could have gone another hour because I think the, the, the power of not getting things done can really be around us if you focus on it. But um, we really need, as Ontarians and, and Canadians, the injection of energy and passion and, and vision that you bring to us. So I do thank you for sharing that with us today. And on behalf of the club, thank you, Minister Bethan Falvey, for taking the time with us this afternoon. And I think I speak for all of us when I share that I hope sleeping like a teenager is in your future at some point <laughs> soon. And Adrian, we appreciate your excellent questions as always, as advertised. And I look forward to welcoming, welcoming you back again to the podium. Uh, before we conclude, we've got three events next week I want to share with you briefly. On Monday, November the 13th, we are hosting a virtual panel to discuss Fostering Financial Well-Being for Newcomers to Canada. Very relevant and mentioned by the Minister this, this afternoon. Tuesday, November the 14th, the President and CEO of Quebec Corps, Pierre Carpellido, will be here at the podium. And then on Wednesday, November 15th, we'll be joined by the President and CEO of the Canadian Association, Association of Petroleum Producers, Lisa Baton. So please visit our website, canadianclub.org, to find out more, purchase your tickets, and let me conclude by thanking Van Valkenburg, VVC, live for technical support. Thank you for joining us again online and in person, and we hope to see you again shortly. Have a good afternoon. <laughs>